You're listening to the Vineyard Milwaukee podcast. For more information about Vineyard Milwaukee Church, visit vineyardmilwaukee.com. Now here's this week's message. So I've shared this experience with you before, so some of you may remember it. But when I was in middle school, around the age of 12, my oldest brother, who was 17 at the time, uh, we had to put him in a long-term drug addiction rehabilitation program that was designed for teenagers. And part of our participation in this program was to travel the two hours um, to the center every weekend. And on Friday nights, we had um, what they called kind of family night. And at family night, all the um, parents and siblings would sit kind of in the audience and the teenagers would sit up on stage. uh, And the night would start with all the teenagers um, basically singing to us songs that they kind of learned and sang throughout the week. And typically they were songs that if you grew up in America, you might have sung around the campfire or learned in Sunday school songs like I am a promise, I'm a possibility, or it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And so they would sing these songs and then they would have a couple of the newcomers introduce themselves and share some of their experiences that brought them to this program. And then the mic would be passed to all the families. And when it was your turn, your family would stand up and your son or daughter, or in my case, my brother would stand up and we'd kind of go down the line and all of us would say whatever we wanted to our sibling or a child. And the only thing they could say back to us was, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. I love you, Rebecca. And then we would all sit down. The only exception to this rule is if your son or daughter um, made it to second phase. And second phase, um, after they'd been in the program for several weeks, maybe even months, if they had been working the program, they would have graduated this thing called second phase where they would have earned the opportunity to come home for the weekends with lots of restrictions. But they could come home and be with your family for the weekends and then be brought back on Monday to spend the week at the program. And I remember, I'll never forget actually, the night that my brother earned second phase because when the mic came to our family, it was our turn to talk to our brother. We stood up and then my brother stood up and just flew out of his seat and shouted, coming home! And he came running to our family. And I remember the very first person he embraced was my father. And They just threw their arms around each other in this huge embrace. I remember seeing my father cry for the first time in my entire life. And my brother went down the line hugging each of us, and I was only 12, like I said, so he literally pulled me up off my feet into this embrace. And it was this really powerful moment where so much that had led up to that moment, so much of of my brother's destructive behavior and all the grief and pain that we all experienced around that, suddenly in this moment, there was this experience of my brother remembering who he was, an experience of kind of this restored innocence, where he remembered that he was my mother and father's child, that he was my big brother. And I'll never forget that moment um, where my brother remembered who he was and that he was coming home. And I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that where you feel like you almost forgot who who you are. Um, Maybe it was a season in your life that was maybe kind of dramatic and intense like my my brother's season that he was in, Uh, or maybe this is actually how you feel right now. 
And maybe for you, it, it's not quite as dramatic as that, something like a, a, an addiction or, you know, a big falling out in your life, but, but maybe it, it's through your job. Maybe you kind of forget who you are and you're owned by your boss or your corporation, or maybe just even the very people that you serve. Um, maybe you've kind of just become a slave to the world. Maybe you belong to the world and, and, and you work for its approval of you. And maybe during this pandemic, you feel kind of rather unanchored. I know I've talked to lots of people who feel almost like an orphan. They've kind of questioned, like, who are my people, really? Who are my friends? Where do I belong? You know, there's a lot of people, I don't know if you've noticed this, making really significant life changes during this pandemic. I, I know people who are uprooting and moving back home to be near family, and other people who are uprooting and moving away from family. I know people who are separating. Um, I know people who are making huge career changes or starting new businesses or some kind of creative venture. And it seems like there's sort of this collective quest for meaning and purpose and identity. You know, there's a story uh, recorded in the Bible that Jesus tells about a young man who found himself in a similar situation to my brother where he too forgot who he was and goes searching for this sense of purpose and meaning and identity in the world. And he too has this kind of dramatic homecoming where he remembers who he is by remembering whose he is. But in this story, the ending has a bit of a twist. Instead of the boy like my brother who jumps up and comes running toward his father and back home to his family, in this story, the father jumps up and comes running toward the son. You might be familiar with this story. Um, it's commonly known as uh, the prodigal son or the return of the prodigal son, but let's read it together. It's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So you got this young kid who basically wants his inheritance early so he can go out in the world and find himself and see if there's something better for him out there, see if he can find his life. And uh, during this time period, to ask for your inheritance early would be like basically saying to your parents, you're dead to me. I'm going to go out in the world and find, find my way, find out who I am. So he leaves. And then it says he squandered his, his wealth in wild living. And so, of course, the money runs out. All the so-called friends he made are nowhere to be found. And he found, finds himself uh, alone and broke and hungry and rather desperate, pretty much at the end of himself. It says in verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So apart from all these obvious uh, physical and material consequences, we can only imagine what kind of internal consequences this son was experiencing. Uh, according to Henry Nouwen in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, A Story of Homecoming, he says, leaving home is a denial of the spiritual reality that I belong to God with every part of my being. And so in his book, uh, Nowen addresses this kind of internal spiral that happens as we uh, kind of leave home. He says, the farther I run from the place where God dwells, the less I am able to hear the voice that calls me the beloved. And the less I hear that voice, the more entangled I become in the manipulations and power games of the world. It goes something like this. I'm not so sure anymore that I have a safe home. And I observe other people that seem to be better off than I. I wonder how I can get to where they are. I try hard to please, to achieve success, to be recognized. When I fail, I feel jealous or resentful of these others. When I succeed, I worry that others will be jealous and resentful of me. I become suspicious or defensive or increasingly afraid that I won't get what I so much desire or I'll lose what I already have. Caught in this tangle of needs and wants, I no longer know my own motivations. I feel victimized by my surroundings and distrustful of what others are doing or saying. Always on my guard, I lose my inner freedom and start dividing the world into those who are for me and those who are against me. I wonder if anyone really cares. I start looking for validations of my distrust. And whenever I do, I see them and say, no one can be trusted. And then I wonder if anyone ever really loved me. The world around me becomes dark. My heart becomes heavy. My body is filled with sorrows. My life loses meaning. I have become a lost soul. Now, this may sound a little intense or a little extreme, but if you're honest, can you relate to this or at least part of this? 
I mean, I don't know anybody who hasn't on some level or, or, or another become caught up in the manipulations and power games of the world. And maybe as you listened to this, you thought, all of it. I can relate to all of it. I've been there. Or you might even be saying, I am there. I've met more than one lost soul over the course of this pandemic. So what do you do when you're lost? What do you do if you are currently lost? What did this younger son do? You remember who you are and you head home. It says in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's higher servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your higher servants. So he got up and went to his father. Again, from Henry Nowen, he says, in that critical moment, what was it that allowed him, meaning the son, to opt for life? It was the rediscovery of his deepest self. Whatever he has lost, be it his money, his friends, his reputation, his self-respect, his inner joy and peace, one or all, he still remained his father's child. Sometimes you just need to remember that you are your father's child. You know, for whatever reason, from the time we're a young age, most of us were just always anxious to grow up. I know my nine-year-old Ben is constantly saying like, I can't wait till I'm older. I can't wait till I'm a teenager and I can get a job. He's already starting to think about how he can start saving for his car so he can have more freedom. Um, already thinking about what it's going to be like when he grows up and can have his own apartment and live however he wants. We never seem to be satisfied to just be taken care of, to remain dependent on our parents. And the reality is this doesn't really change. I mean, how often, even now as an adult, do you find yourself at the end of your rope, facing obstacles that are just feel insurmountable? And yet, you still feel like it's up to you to come up with a solution, to shoulder it, to manage it, to navigate it on your own. You think you're the only grown-up in the room. And you forget that you are your father's child. But the good news is when we come to our senses and take a step toward our father, he comes running to meet us with open arms. It says in verse 20, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him while he was still a long way off. Do you realize that your father is filled with compassion for you and moving toward you even while you're still a long way off? Right now, you might be feeling that way. You may be feeling very distant from God. Maybe there's some shame over something going on in your life that is keeping you distant from God. Or maybe you just feel kind of ashamed that you don't even have that much interest in God, that you don't have a lot of motivation to even try to connect with God. And in that, I wonder, what do you assume is God's posture towards you? Often, we assume that God's posture is maybe similar to our earthly parents' posture. Maybe your parents are kind of passive-aggressive. They get frustrated with you if you don't call often enough or seem to pay enough attention to them. 
Or maybe it's the opposite where you just feel like your parents don't even care if you call or not. They just don't seem that interested in your life. Or maybe your parents' posture towards you was often angry or critical or, or disapproving. And so you just assume that God feels all these things, either disapproving or angry or frustrated or just not even that interested in you. But this is a far cry from the father that we find in this parable and a far cry from the God that we find in the person of Jesus revealed to us in scriptures. This God is always taking the initiative, always moving toward us, always pursuing us, always filled with compassion for us. The son, it says in verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You notice when he says, this son of mine was dead. This son of mine was lost. That this son never stopped being the father's son. The son may have disowned his father and said, you're dead to me, but the father never disowned the son. When he returned home, he didn't become the father's son just when he returned home. He just remembered that he was the father's son. And not only was his identity in this moment restored and his value and his worth reinstated, but the father's heart was full of joy. The father says, let's have a feast and celebrate. And I wondered, you ever stop and think that when you turn and walk toward God, that his heart is filled with joy, that he, that, it, that you give him cause to celebrate? I remember the first time that this reality, uh, that, I, that I really believed it, that I even came to really understand this, this reality that God makes himself vulnerable to us, that we can actually affect the heart of God. I was just sitting one day, in my living room and just kind of having a time with God in his presence and just reading through scripture. And it was one of those times where you're just kind of passively reading through scripture and suddenly the scripture just swells and is alive and the Holy Spirit just grips your heart. And that's what happened to me. I was reading through Song of Songs and there's a, a verse um, in chapter four, verse nine, it says, you have captured my heart, my sister, my bride. You've captured my heart. Some, some um, translations say you've stolen my heart. And right in that moment, the realization that I have captured God's heart, that I've stolen his heart, became real. That my attention for God, that my very existence, that any amount of affection or devotion that I can muster actually causes God's heart to swell. That God has actually changed and moved because of me. That is a profound reality. And the truth is, any kind of real relationship is marked by love and intimacy. It has to be this true way, this two-way street. That in the same way we're moved and changed and impacted by the love God has for us, that we uh, that we that we move God's heart, that our love for God impacts him. And see, one of the beautiful aspects of um, of this relationship uh, is that although this is true, that it is a two-way street, that our love moves and transforms each other's heart, 
the good news is that in the same way, the father remains the father uh, and we remain his child. See, one of the beautiful aspects of this rehabilitation program that my brother was a part of was that they would kind of take these teenagers in and kind of strip them down, but then they would move them toward a restoration of everything that had been lost. And this was primarily their innocence, a restoring of their innocence, which is precisely the reason they had them singing these Sunday school songs and these campfire songs. Because they were reminding these kids that they were indeed kids. And my parents showing, showed up each week were there to remind my brother Robbie that he was their child, that that's who he was. And it can be such a relief to remember that you are a child, that there's actually a grown-up in the room, that that doesn't have to be you. And unfortunately, we often be, get, get to the end of ourselves, kind of a... The end of our rope, the rug has to be pulled out from under us before uh, we remember that God is God and we are not. Then we can let down our guard and have our innocence restored and let the grown-up rule the universe. Your father is a capable father and he invites you to remain his child. And so I wonder how might God be inviting you today? To remember that you are your father's child. He is jealous of your heart because he knows that if you try to find yourself, if you try to anchor your identity in anything or anyone else other than him, that you will end up lost, that you will end up dead. And if you forget that he is the dad and that you are the kid, you will try to shoulder and manage and navigate things that are just way too big for you. So if God takes the initiative, if he does the pursuing, is he, if he is moving toward us filled with compassion, then do we have any part at all? I mean, what, what's the invitation for us? What are we meant to do when we're feeling lost? Well, let's look again at what the younger son does. It says in verse 20, so he got up and he went to his father. Look, the reality is we do not have a reasonable bargaining chip when we approach our father. Uh, the younger son was planning on going back ashamed, groveling, pleading for just scraps. Whereas the elder brother, who I don't, whose story I don't have time to unpack now because that's a whole other layer of identity, but his attempt was to earn his father's grace and his father's favor and his father's love by being dutiful, by obeying all the rules, by, by it says, I, you know, he says, I was a slave for you. I did everything you told me to do. So he thinks if I do everything right and I keep myself in line, then, then you'll love me. Then you'll accept me. That's how I get God's love and approval. But neither one understood that their father's love and favor was established at their birth that it could neither be achieved nor squandered. They were loved because they were their father's child. You are loved because you are your father's child, period. And this offended the older brother. And frankly, this sometimes offends us because this is not how the world works. The world loves us when we perform, when we succeed, when we offer it something that it wants. This isn't even the way a lot of our relationships work. We aren't typically have that experience of being loved just because we are. 
But this is the way this relationship works with your father. You are your father's child. And so when you are far from home, get up and go to your father. Expecting to be received with compassion and joy and celebration. Expecting to have the finest robe put on you, a ring put on your finger, sandals on your feet, to have a feast uh, and a party in your honor. Is this because you deserve it? Because you've earned it? Because you feel bad enough? Because you grovel enough? No, none of those things. It's because you are your father's child. That is who you are, and this is his response every time you turn toward him. So my invitation to you today is to come to your senses, get up, and go to your father. There is a party waiting for you.